Well, good morning, Grace Church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad to see everybody here on Sunday morning here on campus. You are welcome. Glad you're here. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, thank you for making today part of your schedule, making this service today part of your schedule, and you will be blessed today. God bless you. Well, if you didn't know, today is a very important day on the calendar. It is Mother's Day, and so I want to just take this opportunity to wish all of the moms a very happy Mother's Day. Can we give our mothers honor today with a hand clap? It is safe to say none of us would be here without a mother. Amen. Amen. And so to all the moms today, have a great day. We love you. We appreciate you. And uh, we just want to take some time today to salute you. And for all the mothers that are here today on campus on the way out, Grace Church has a very special gift for you. So be sure to get that on your way out after service today. Just a little token to say how much we appreciate and love you today. So God bless all of our moms. God bless you today. Um, on that note, I, I will add that today begins the Mother's Memorial Offering Campaign of the United Pentecostal Church International. And Grace Church is always a very, we always like to be a very important part of that and give to Mother's Memorial. And so let me tell you just for a quick moment here what all that offering goes to support. When you give to Mother's Memorial, here's some of the things you are supporting. Tupelo Children's Mansion. Uh, Haven of Hope, which is a program for girls ages 13 to 16 with behavioral and emotional issues. New Beginnings, which is an adoption placement uh, agency. United Pentecostal Church Music Ministry. Lighthouse Ranch for Boys. Education. Global Missions. North American Missions. Church Advancement. World Network of Prayer. Young Ladies Ministries and Children's Ministries. All of these amazing causes are supported by the offering we give in Mother's Memorial. So you have an opportunity to give, of course, online. Uh, there's a tab for Mother's Memorial. And everyone that gives an offering of at least $100 will receive a pin from Mother's Memorial uh, Department of the United Pentecostal Church. And it's always a very beautifully well-crafted pin, nice little token to say thank you for your gift of $100 or more. So remember that. And let's give big to Mother's Memorial and help support these ministries. Finally, don't forget Tuesday morning prayer this Tuesday here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. If you can come, your schedule allows. We would love for you to be a part of that time of prayer over our church and over our families. If you got it, say amen. Amen. Let's stand together. When we were kids, and we, we loved to race. See who can run the fastest. In fact, Somebody said the other day, said, um, said, being an adult is no fun. When you show up with new shoes, nobody says, how fast can you run in those new shoes? But when we were kids, you know, you'd get new shoes and you'd want to race. See how fast you could go. And we would always say, ready, set, go. And so today, I'm just going to say in my spirit and in my praise, God, I'm ready. God, I'm set. And I'm just going to let my faith release God to go and do whatever he wants to do in this service, whatever he wants to do in my life. If you're ready, set, go today. Would you just clap your hands to Jesus and let's give him some worship today. Hallelujah. Let's see what God will do.
shout of praise from our hearts this morning, knowing that you inhabit the praises of your people, God. So it inhabit this house today, God. Let it be a holy habitation. This is the day you made. This is the day you made. So I will give you praise. Whatever comes my way, I'll rejoice in you. This is the day you made. So I will give you praise. Whatever comes my way, I'll rejoice in you. This is the day you made. So I will give you praise. Whatever comes my way, I'll rejoice in you. This is the day you made. So I will give you praise. Whatever comes my way, I'll rejoice in you.
on every hand lifted across the house.
Come, somebody help me lift him up. Say, Jesus. Somebody declare the name Jesus. Come on, shout out his name this morning. Hallelujah. We worship the name that's above every name. Come on, help me declare his praises this morning. Savor to the Lord, so we sing oh. today in worship and in praise. It's great to see all of you here today. Thank you so much for coming. All of our guests here today, welcome. 
We're so glad you're here. And uh, every one of you being here today makes, today makes today all the more special, especially for our moms here today. We wish all of you a very happy Mother's Day, and we hope that you're still happy being a mother. <clears throat> if you're not, I don't know what to say. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Happy Mother's Day. I thought all of you, I hope all of you have a great day today. And um, God bless you. God bless you for all that you contribute to the lives of all of our families. Not just your own immediate family, but people around you. Loving, caring people as a mother. And uh, we're so thankful for all of you and um, all of us that have a mother. We should be very thankful for our mother. Thank the Lord. I saw not too long ago somebody ask a congregation of people, how many of you have a family? And, uh, or, or do not have a family, excuse me. How many here tonight do not have a family? And there were people that raised their hand. Like, well, how did you get here? Uh, so uh, we all understand. We hope you have a great, great day today. And we have a very special mom here today that I'm actually very surprised to see. And uh, we're glad to have Sandy here today with uh, their newest little baby girl, Naomi. Thank the Lord. And we're glad she's here today. And a uh, very happy Mother's Day uh, to them. And uh, wow, we're so happy for them. Three beautiful, beautiful kids. And we rejoice with them and certainly... Uh, congratulate them for um, the newest little addition to their family. Beautiful little baby girl, and uh, Grace Church will embrace her, of course, and uh, their family. And uh, we celebrate with uh, Ryan and Sandy today. It's great to have uh, Marcus and Cassie here with us today. And I know Sister Murph is very happy about that. Thank the Lord. Um, She's different when Marcus is around. <clears throat> I can't explain it, but uh, her countenance, her demeanor, kindness. <laughs> Thank the Lord. We're glad to have them here today with us as well. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. And our moms. We're so thankful for you and rejoice with you. Let me call your attention to the Word of God here today. I know a lot of you have plans, but I do hope you planned a little while today for Jesus. I hope you planned a little while today for the Word of God. John chapter 9 verse 1, Jesus passed by and he saw a man which was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did send this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. He said, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Watch this, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. 
He went his way, therefore, and washed and came, saying, seeing. The neighbors, therefore, uh, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this the, uh, he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Watch this, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus, and the man said, Jesus told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Jesus made more of the commandment. The man made more of the destination. It's interesting to me that the two said these things in reverse. Verse 12, then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. I want to preach to you for just a few moments here this morning about the great reward of obedience. The great reward of obedience. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Thank you for your patience and standing, and you may be seated. I could stand here a long time, and I'm sure all of you could, that would, could talk about the beauty of obedience. All the mothers say amen. Wouldn't it be nice to have your children obey you the minute, the second, you give them a command? Most moms that I know here today repeats the command numerous times. I was sitting on my porch the other day and um, I heard the neighbor next door tell her child, come here right now. Now, she said. Right now, repeated it two or three times and then said one the beauty of obedience and for some of our children here today and even some of our students it would be good for you to learn the reward of obedience it would be probably better stated if I would say it would be in your best interest to learn the beauty of obedience. Heard a man say that he wished he had grown up. He was older, kind of like me. And um, he said he wished he had grown up in the age of time out. Looking back in retrospect, I kind of wish I had grown up in the age of time out. Now, little Jimmy, you thrust little Joey's head into the wall, and there's blood all over the wall. I've had enough. Time out. Now you get your smartphone and all your video games and you go straight to your room. What a day we live in for kids. If they lived in my head, lived in my day, when you knew what the wrong end of a belt was like, 
I remember sitting on the couch one, one time showing my mother whelps on my legs from my dad's belt. The man I heard the other day went on to say that oftentimes he would get sent to his dad's room and wait. You wait for the inevitable. And he just so happened to leave his closet door open and you could see all the belts hanging in there. And it's like the belts are saying, I hope he picks me. <clears throat> the beauty, the reward of obedience. I find it interesting in our society today that obedience doesn't mean what it used to. When you consider the role of law enforcement, when you consider even the role of government, um, obedience just don't seem to be what it used to. It seems like more and more people want to do what's right in their eyes. They want to do what feels right to them. I remember the old slogan. I don't know the, the time era it was, but I remember um, it was a number of years ago. There was a saying that said, if it just feels good, do it. Uh, so the, the obedient subject has been clearly defined. School teachers often are filled with hurt and sorrow because obedience can't be enforced in the classroom. And you could go on and on down the line. Parents struggle with it. But I still believe here today that when the Bible gives a commandment, God isn't playing. And I've never heard God count one, two. He does have a thing called grace. He does have a thing called mercy. But uh, there are times and there are scripture references that um, in the Bible when he says go, when he says do, uh, he means it. And he means now. I believe that when people come to know Jesus, they embark on a journey. That journey is filled with trust and faith, and we talked about that recently. But it's also filled with a, a thing called discipleship, where you discipline yourself, you make yourself accountable. And so when God or the Word of God asks you to do something, you don't question, you don't put it off, you don't try to negotiate, you just say, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So when people come to know Jesus, they embark on a journey. And no matter where they start from, to me, it is a miracle. I still consider it life's greatest miracle when people are willing to follow Jesus with a heart full of faith, a heart full of trust, and a heart full of obedience and submission. So that no matter where they start from, doesn't matter where people are in life, it doesn't matter how old they are or not. When they begin a journey with Jesus, it's amazing, it's wonderful, it's exciting, it's miraculous. It can be from some old traditional religious background with very little Bible basis, if you will. Or it can come at a place where a person has been found deep, deep in sin or from any other place in between. But a journey begun with Jesus and finished successfully is truly a miracle. It's easy oftentimes 
for people to begin a journey with Jesus. But oftentimes, it is difficult and challenging to finish it. I don't want to be morbid, but there's nothing more fulfilling, I suppose, than to stand with the casket in front of me, just right here in front of me, and that person has lived a lifelong, committed relationship with Jesus, filled with faith, undying love for him, and to have that deep peace on the inside of you that that person completed their journey here and has now begun an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen. amen. In our scripture setting today, Jesus sent a man on a journey, but it wasn't easy. It was very challenging. It was almost cruel. I'll come to that in a moment. But when Jesus met this man, he was blind. Apparently, obviously, blind from birth. I want to say just for a moment, when the disciples said, who did sin? Jesus said, neither, but that the glory of God would be made manifest. I don't know how old this man was. I do know that he was obviously an adult. He may have been 21. He may have been 83. He was an adult. Jesus allowed this man to go through some portion of his life blind. But Jesus never lost the focus or the intention of that blindness. Jesus never forgot about it. His miracle was a timing issue. Jesus could have healed him at any point. As a matter of fact, Jesus could have even prevented him from being born blind in the first place. But it was a timing thing, and I think sometimes we misunderstand the miraculous. We want it now, but God oftentimes has timing. He has a plan so that when he performs that miracle, it can have the most fruit and benefit and that God would be the most glorified. It's interesting that this miracle took place some 2,000 years ago and people are still talking about it and I'm preaching about it today. This is where faith, trust, and obedience comes into such an important priority in our relationship with God. If you want the best of God, you have to sometimes give Him the best of you. I wouldn't mind that. So back to the question, who did sin, the disciples asked. Why is it when people see someone who is in a bad way, they sometimes want to ask, who did sin? I believe there's something inherent in human nature to want to find fault and blame, and we try to make someone else responsible for the negative things that are existing in our life. But you'll notice the answer Jesus gave was just simply neither. It's had nothing to do with the sin of his parents. For that matter, it had nothing to do with his own. It had nothing to do with anybody else. This is not necessarily a sin-based problem, but rather a situation that God allowed to happen so that he would be glorified when the miracle finally came. What could happen in the lives of people around us if our approach to them 
And their situation was not one of condemnation or being judgmental, but to look at them and their situation and look for ways that God could be glorified in their situation. When Jesus solved that question, answered that question, I don't know that Jesus ever performed a miracle in his earthly ministry the exact same way twice. He just always had a different bit about him when he chose to do the miraculous. There's a lot that could be said right here. We don't have time to delve to, to dive into that today. But uh, it's not always God's particular posture. It's not always our particular posture. The miraculous is oftentimes elusive, as we all know. And God has all kinds of different ways of doing it. The minute you think you've got it figured out, He does something a little bit different that just blows your theory plumb out of the water. But in this case, he did something particularly unusual. When he had thus spoken, he spit on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and anointed the eyes of the blind man with that mixture of spittle and clay. There's two reasons that may be a sign for making this clay and anointing the eyes of the blind with it. Whereas we look at spitting as disgusting, and I fully concur with that. As a matter of fact, if you spit on somebody, I believe it can be literally considered assault. It's not a good idea to spit on people. And I know people that spit habitually, and if you do, you need to stop it because it's disgusting. <laughs> Just my opinion. But in this case, there's two reasons it may be a sign for Jesus spitting enough on the ground to stir it together and make this dirt spit soupy stuff and then putting it on the eyes of the blind. One is that believe it or not, in that time of Jesus' ministry, the Jews regarded spit as a medicine. They did. I know some moms today that use spit similar to a bar of soap. I've been the recipient of such occasions where my mother would take her index finger and run it down the full length of her tongue and then commence to wipe something off of my face with it. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. I've seen people in this church, mothers in this church do it and think nothing of it. All the stuff around the eyes, the nose, the lips, cheeks. It's interesting. To say the least. But in that time, spit was considered to be used for medicinal purposes. The problem with this miracle is they, the Pharisees, the Jewish Pharisees, Sadducees, all of these religious people, that tried their best to interpret the law of Moses literally, etc. They believed that spit could be used as a medicine, but not on the Sabbath day. So if you had something wrong with you on the Sabbath day and needed the application of spittle, you'd just have to wait till Monday. 
No matter how what it was, it didn't, it didn't matter. This man was blind. Does anybody here today feel like that's kind of important? That if you could heal that guy today of blindness, why wait, make him wait until tomorrow? They regarded the Sabbath so strictly that they considered the preparation and the use of medicine as contrary to the law of Moses, especially on the Sabbath day. It was especially forbidden among them to use spittle on that day to heal diseased eyes. So Jesus, by making the spittle, showed them that their manner of keeping the Sabbath day was superstitious, superstitious, excuse me, and that hey, had he dared do a thing like that was to them considered unlawful. So he showed them that their interpretation of the law of the Sabbath was contrary to God's intention, who was the one who created the Sabbath, and that his disciples would not be bound by their notions of what they considered sacred for that day. Here comes the commandment. Jesus applied this to his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's interesting to me that this man didn't complain about it. He didn't ask Jesus to be a little more kind and a little more merciful. You do realize, Jesus, that I am blind. And on top of that, you have just covered my eyes even more. That if I had any ability to see whatsoever, you took care of that too. And now you're telling me to go plumb across town and wash. I know people in our modern day church that would not do that. Jesus, if you really wanted me healed, you would make it far more easier. I'm sorry, did I say something that has some implications that We know people that can't do the simple things that God asks. But they don't hesitate to ask for the amazing miracle. See, the reward of obedience. We're not rewarded for works. Don't, don't go there with me. But I do believe they play a part. Jesus did say, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Did he not? So... What we want to do, as most kids do, especially in our modern-day society, is we don't want to do what our parents ask us to do. And we will argue and debate and negotiate and then try to rope our siblings into the fray and say, well, it's their turn, and I did it last. I remember when I was at home as a child, me and my older brothers would oftentimes fix two ham sandwiches before we'd go to bed, and uh, we'd just go to the refrigerator and get things out of the refrigerator and fix a sandwich, but we would leave the things on the counter. So my mother would walk through and tell one of us to put the mayonnaise back in the refrigerator, and we would promptly say, well, David got it out. 
Well, Tommy got it out. That's not relevant to anything in my mother's mind. To me, it's relevant about everything. If they got it out, they should put it back. It doesn't matter that I used it. They should put it back. But in my mother's mind, I don't care who got it out. I'm telling you to put it back. Do we understand obedience along that line? Jesus said, go wash. He knew what was going to happen to this man if he obeyed that commandment. I promise you, this is what we don't understand in relationship with God. Some of us. We don't understand the reward of obedience. If you will just do what he asks you to do, your life will be summarily better forever. So one thing. But we say, I don't want to do that. And then three days later, we got our back against the wall, and we don't know what to do and where to go and what to do that. And then we say, oh, God, help us, help us, help us. And I think God sometimes responds to us kind of like our mother would. When we didn't put the mayonnaise up, or she had to give us a whipping, and then you put the mayonnaise up. See, we don't understand these things. We still don't get it. Still get the whipping, put it up, and three days later, we're at Walmart. Mama, can I have this? We don't understand. Now, it's, it's not a works-based thing, and she has not ceased to love you. But this is where it's in your best interest. You do your part. You make everything as peaceful. In that relationship, if you had a dad like mine, you would kill yourself to make that relationship as peaceful as possible because later it may earn you a brownie point here or two amen y'all looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about I think some of you do the front two rows don't they don't have a clue they argue and debate I've heard them I heard a parent just a couple of services ago I was getting in my car and I heard their voice they were over here in this side parking lot won't call their names, but Brad was ready to go. <laughs> and he sent Bryson to get Keegan back here who was playing basketball. And when he got there, guess who was playing basketball? Both of them. And he begins to say, didn't I tell you, Bryson, to go get Keegan and tell him to come to this car right now? And on and on. And Bryson just looks at him and like, what? No big deal. I did ask our esteemed brother Brad to be kind. He was just having a little bit of fun with his friends at church. and I don't remember making Brad making any particular promise, but I hope everything went okay when he finally got them two boys to that car. I don't know where Braylon was in all that mix, but I'm sure he got roped in somehow or another. You should have known, Braylon. I, we need to go, whatever. Jesus understood the reward of obedience. Jesus gave this man a destination. Everybody hear me. Jesus gave him a destination, but the man concentrated on the journey. 
Jesus said, go wash. The blind man said, he sent me to the pool of Siloam to wash. Jesus made the destination the priority. The blind man made the journey, and we do the same thing. Jesus knows what's waiting for every one of us if we will do his will. And he just says, go do it. But we sob and cry and we weep and moan, but God, it's too hard. Oh, God, it's too hard. I can't imagine what went through the heart of this man. Are you kidding me? How many blind people have you healed prior to now that you just said, be healed? Why are you sending me on this journey? It's just what he wanted. It's in your best interest. It reminds me of, you remember Naaman, the Syrian leper, that the, the wise man said, go dip four, uh, seven times in the Jordan River. But instead he argued, is there not better rivers in Syria? Why does it have to be the dirty, nasty? It doesn't matter, man. If you knew what was waiting on you as a result of obeying that commandment, you would already be in the river and you would have done it three times already. You could have had it over with by now while you're standing there arguing. But we do that. We do that in our relationship with God. This shows us that we should obey the commands of God. However unmeaning or mysterious they may appear, God has always a reason for all that he directs us to do. Our faith and willingness to obey him are often tried when we can see Little of the reason for his requirements. So Jesus sends him, puts him on what's, what seems to be an impossible journey. Do you all understand that? He's telling a blind man to go to a specific place. Now you tell me how he's going to get there. The Bible gives no indication of how he made it. But isn't that the miracle of the journey? Isn't that part of the miracle? Just getting to where Jesus wants you to be. I've been given a commandment to move forward, especially this year. I'm doing the best I can. And it don't always make sense. And when you first take that first step, it doesn't make sense. But somehow in my heart, I know where I'm going. I'm not always sure how I'm going to get there. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to do everything I can to do what God asked me to do. And I'm going to do everything I can not to question if he says, do it, do it. And my family knows that. People that are close to me knows that. I'll bounce some of my thing off of them that I believe God just nudged me to do this and to say that. And then I go do it and they're like, man, it's weird. I know it's weird. But if God says do it, if God says do it, if God says do it, we have to do what God asks us to do. Everybody clap your hands to the Lord. Again, find it interesting that after Jesus told him go, he placed emphasis on the instruction. The blind man placed emphasis on the journey. Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. There's nothing compromised. There, there's no compromise in that. There's no bargaining in that. There's no, God, I wish you'd do this different part of that. If you want to see, Go do what he's asked you to do. 
To send a blind man on a journey seems a bit cruel. It seems a bit inhumane. I know that our current day society here in America would have blew Jesus out of the water for such a thing. Are you that heartless and cruel to send a man? These people didn't have all these people around them just waiting to do whatever their beck and call was. But this man somehow took Jesus at face value. And if I want to redeem this miracle, if I want to see again, I'll remind you, Jesus just told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I don't read in here where he said, you'll be healed if you do. You're going to get some great reward if you do. I believe the man put two and two together. But there was no promise of healing. He just said, go wash. With no help, as far as we know, no guide, no assistance. He didn't have a yellow Labrador retriever to lead him there. He didn't have no man to help him. This isn't the first time that Jesus did that. The man uh, at the stirring of the water, Jesus said, go into the water when it's trouble. He said, I have no man to get me there. These people just didn't have people around them all the time. He couldn't text somebody and say, hey, I got this great instruction from Jesus. Will you come help me? He was on his own. And if he wanted to redeem this miracle, if he was smart, he would obey. No questions asked. Just obey. Obey. He began by taking the first step into utter, complete darkness and that first step was no doubt going to be a very long challenging journey just a few moments about the obstacles were there obstacles did Jesus make this a piece of cake was there just a a beeline from where he was to the pool of Siloam was there crowds of people was there rocks in the street were there kids and dogs everywhere? Was there things, carts and animals? You name it. This man had to negotiate every obstacle he came to. I want to be very kind and very respectful, and I don't mean to be humorous. But besides all of that, he looked horrible. You've got a man spit and mud running down your cheeks through town. But is it worth it? Is it? I don't know how the man was. I don't know how old he was. But to be able to see and not really having the promise of seeing either, but just hoping that Jesus had good intentions with his commandment, he began to make that journey. But I believe his hope was this. I'm blind for all of you that are laughing and snickering at me. I will point out to you the scripture said very clearly he was unrecognizable. There were people that didn't even know who he was. You can make fun of me. You can mock me. You can do whatever you want. There's a lot of implication in that statement. You can make fun of me. But when I come back, I'm going to possess something that I will value far more than you do. You see me blind now and you see me look ridiculous now. 
But when I come back, you're going to see a different me. Not just the fact that I can see, but my attitude's going to be different. My whole life is going to change. I'll have a career. I'll have something I can do. I'll have a family I can be restored with. There's a lot of things amazing that's going to happen in my life. Not because I'm chasing a promise. But because I'm obeying a commandment. But I believe this was the hard part for him. I really do. I believe this was the hardest part. He had to leave his spot. He had to leave his identity. He had to leave his place of security. He had to leave his comfort zone. I will have you notice, if you study the manner and the culture of that time, beggars sat They always were sitting. That's their posture. They were not welcome to stand to their feet. They were not a part of the regular crowd. To most people that saw a beggar, it's because he offended God and God is punishing him. And as a part of that punishment, you have to sit down. You're not worthy to stand on your feet. The man was blind, but there was nothing wrong with his legs. Jesus pointed that out when he sent him on this trip. He had to stand up. He had to change his posture. He had to be willing to change his identity. Everything about him in the face of everyone that knew him changed. Jesus is all about change. He didn't come to leave people in their sin. But when you come out of your sin, you change. If you didn't, then what would be the point in changing? Jesus made that clear. He had to stand up. It was an uncommon posture for a beggar. And I want to tell some people here today in the closing moments of this message that if you want to move forward in life, if you want life to get better, if you want relationships to get better, if you want even your health to get better, your attitude to get better, it's just... Obeying Jesus, but you say it's too hard. Don't focus on the task. Don't focus on the journey. Focus on what happens when you get to where Jesus tells you you're going. Focus on that. So as you stand with me this morning, we come to the potential. This man realized in this commandment, Jesus accentuated in this man's life, everybody hear me, Jesus accentuated in this man's life not what he couldn't do, but what he could do. You say, that doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. The man realized that he was blind, but Jesus also pointed out that he was not lame. There are things you can do. It's not all about that one reason why you can't, but there's a smorgasbord of reasons why you can be and do what Jesus wants you to be and what he wants you to do.
I believe the blind man probably asked somebody, if you'll just point me in the right direction, I'll do the rest. I'll take the necessary steps. He began to see his potential. He began to see the potential. In addition to that, he had nothing else to lose. Notice again, Jesus put the miracle first, but the blind man put the journey first. We are blinded by so many things around us, and when we do see, we only see obstacles. Israel was leaving Egypt. They faced the Red Sea, a wilderness, starvation, thirst, the Jordan River, walls of Jericho, etc. Gideon faced the Midianites. David faced a giant. Three Hebrews faced a, journey, a furnace. Daniel faced a den of lions. Paul faced a storm. God never said the journey would be easy and without trials and obstacles, but there's a miracle at the end of it. You see here today, heaven is my destination. That's where I want to go. He never said it would be easy. But my pastor used to say often, heaven is going to be cheap at any price. Somebody said, don't be afraid of your fears. They're not there to scare you. They're there to let you know that something is worth it. So I want to leave you here this morning about the great reward of obedience. Is there something worth not going to heaven over? Is there something in your life right now that you're using as a reason or an excuse not to be that disciple, not to be that person that God really loves and wants to just show his glory in is there something that exceeds that is there something of greater value to you than God showing his glory in you and then you being a recipient of that golden city the great reward of obedience is going to be found in just a few words and I hope I can hear them ring in my ear when Jesus says well done. It's two words. Well done. If I can hear that one day, it doesn't matter what I've been through here. I, I, would, I would say today in great, great confidence, there's not a person in heaven right now that regrets the journey. I sure wish God would have made it a little bit easier to get say to our mothers today the greatest gift you could give your family is an undying determination not just to believe God, not to just have faith in God, those are great attributes but to love Him and obey Him to be what God wants you to be so we have a few moments, hopefully you do today on Mother's Day but as they begin to sing softly could we gather around just for a few moments and say, God, I want to. I want to be what you want me to be. I struggle with the journey. I have no issues with the destination. Heaven is amazing, but I struggle with the journey. I still do. God, there's obstacles that I just can't get past. There's, there's things that I just can't get over. There's things I can't overcome. There's desires.
there's bitterness, there's heartbreak, there's failures, all of that. I'm going to ask you to not focus on the journey you made, but focus on the Can we love him for a few moments? Everybody here today, maybe we can come as family. Come up here with your mama if you can. And just say, God, I just want to love you for a little while. God, I want to be with you for a little while. I just want to be in your presence for a little while. I just want some assurance that you're still with me. You're still guiding me. You're still leading me. And with all the obstacles that I have to navigate, with all the things that I'm going through, and all the hardship and the heartache and the betrayal and deceit and all of these things, God, I still want. I still want to go to heaven, God. I still want to be a part of the bride of Christ. I just, I can't, I can't get my eyes off the journey. Your hands have a while. You search my soul. Let's love Jesus today. Let's love him.